0: This service, which is called You Are Here, and it's all about being mindful during this season of Advent and, and making sure that we don't miss what God is showing us each step of the way. And then at the earlier service today in the celebration service, we having we're doing something different this year. We're doing a, a whole different Advent thing called Here Comes Heaven. And Pastor Andy is preaching, and that was a great service this morning. Okay, so you might even want to consider double dipping this morning, going to the early service and then come in here again. Just double blessings. It's like a double header in baseball, right? It's great. And this is something great to invite your friends to. It, it'll make your Christmas that much more special. So I'm glad that you're here today. And if you're listening with us and on the live stream today, uh, we're glad that you're listening with us. If you could just have the way to see all the beautiful stuff going on here. Maybe we'll try to have to add that. We'll just, you know, do smell a vision or something and get to see everything. Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 36 is our scripture today. You're invited to follow along or just listen as I read the gospel today. Where Jesus says these words, There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on earth, distress, among nations confused by the roaring of the sea and waves, people will faint from fear and from foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the coming of the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up, raise, up your, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable, look at the fig trees and all of the trees, as soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The Word of God. For the people of God, thanks be to God. One of the most popular movie genres these days is a, is uh, apocalyptic movies, okay? Uh, apocalyptic and, and even post-apocalyptic movies. And so I got to thinking about that and, and I got on my fancy internet machine and I looked up apocalyptic movies. Do you all ever do that? Uh, get on your fancy internet machine and look things up. Here's what I found. I thought it was really interesting. Apocalyptic movies go all the way back to the 1950s and even before then. And and the site that I was on, it had them broken down by decades. In the 1950s, I found that there were 13 apocalyptic movies made. Um, and I'm going to call some of these movies out. And if you've seen these movies before, I want you to smile at me and nod your heads, okay? All right. So um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh The War of the Worlds, okay? Those were the 1950s movies. In the 1960s, there were 25 movies made. Movies like Planet of the Apes, Night of the Living Dead, okay? In the 70s, that's my decade, right? In the 70s, 38 apocalyptic movies were made. Movies, and I've seen all of these. Logan's Run, Mad Max get out more if you haven't seen these movies. <laughs> Soylent Green, okay. So in the 80s, there were 40 movies. Now you see how the number keeps going up every decade? In the 80s, very popular movies like Blade Runner, and how about this one, Terminator, R.B. Bach, yeah. Flash Gordon. So Jumping from the 80s to this decade, the the 2010s, I guess you could say, now remember there were 40 apocalyptic movies made in the 1980s, 40, and in the period of time from 2010 until now, there have been 81 made already, 81, more than double. And it's not just that there's twice as many of these apocalyptic movies being made; they're just they're different in every way. Is you go from these kind of weird, far fetched ones like Invasion of the Body Snatchers to a movie that was made this decade called The Hunger Games. Did any of y'all see that or read any of those books? I did. My kids were interested in it. I read them. And what struck me with The Hunger Games is that. Unlike Night of the Living Dead, Hunger Games seemed like it actually could happen. I remember that striking me just like a blow in the stomach when I was reading that. I was thinking, this isn't too far from what I could see happen." If things kept getting worse and worse, it actually could get that bad. Wow. It made me a little bit wobbly in the knees to think about. And I think it must have made Jesus' disciples a little bit wobbly in the knees to hear him say the things that were going to take place during their lifetime. And and then, even more so, what it was going to be like at the second coming. Just struck in the imagination, wobbly in the knees. You know, it all started out with someone just pointing at the beautiful temple and saying, Don't we have a beautiful temple here in Jerusalem? Look how amazing it is. And it was beautiful the center of their existence. It was the center of their community. It was the most beautiful, the most lovely, the most loved place. hundred years in the making. Something everybody was so proud of and would point to and say, ooh, ah. And then in verse 6 of chapter 21, Jesus said, yeah, you want to look at that temple? There comes a day when There won't be a stone left on top of the other. They'll all be thrown down. Wow. They'll all be thrown down. It would be like for Americans, somebody saying that a meteorite is coming and it's going to hit the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial and the Statue of Liberty all at once. That's what kind of apocalyptic impact we're talking about here. And then imagine Jesus' followers looking at that beautiful temple and then looking at Jesus and hearing his words and thinking, no way, no way this structure will ever be leveled, no way. But Jesus didn't stop there. Not only did he predict the temple would be destroyed, he predicted the whole city would be destroyed. And he said to them, he said, when you start seeing armies coming and surrounding Jerusalem, you better run for the hills. Because you don't want to get caught in Jerusalem during that time. All of that, all of those predictions that Jesus made that day were fulfilled in 70 AD when the Roman army surrounded the city and then came in and leveled everything, including that amazing temple. But on that day, Jesus was telling them, It's going to get worse before it gets better. It's just going to get worse before it gets better. And then he shifts gears and he starts talking about the second coming, the second second advent, we might say. Verses 25 through 28, Scripture we just read, uses words we don't like to talk about. Words like distressed and confused and fear and foreboding. Like everything is changing. Like things are going from bad to worse. Let me ask you, do you ever feel that way? Maybe even in your own life, like, man, what else could happen? Like, I thought it couldn't get any worse, but I was wrong again. Or do you ever watch the news and, and see fires and floods and earthquakes and volcanoes and shootings and wars and famines and refugees fleeing their homes and thinking to yourself, I I don't even know what to do with all this stuff. There are some powerful words that I have. And by the way, you have an outline inserted in your newsletter there. If you are one of those that likes to follow along, outlines and fill-ins. Four powerful words in the frightening times when things look like they're going all apocalyptic on us. The first one is this, remember. Remember what Jesus said, and just as important, remember what he did not say. Okay? Jesus did not say to his followers, just follow me and everything's going to be great. You're never going to have any problems. He didn't say that. He said sort of the opposite. He said, uh, you're going to see trials. He said, you're going to be persecuted because you follow me. You may even be arrested. You may even be betrayed by your own family. You may even be put to death. But he also said this. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And you might think, well, but he is going to leave them. He is. He is going to be crucified. He is going to be buried. He's going to be resurrected the third day, but then he's going to ascend into heaven. He is going to leave them. How can he say, I'm not going to leave you? And more importantly, more to the point in my life, how is he going to be with me when I need him? N.T. Wright is one of my favorite authors, and he writes a book that I recommend called Simply Christian, Why Christianity Makes Sense. In this book, he writes these words, and I think it's helpful to see how God is is with us all the time. He writes, He, Jesus, is at the moment present with us, but hidden behind that invisible veil which keeps heaven and earth apart. That veil at which we pierce in those moments, such as, as prayer and sacraments and reading of the scriptures and our work with the poor, when the veil seems particularly thin. And one day, and this is our hope, one day that veil will be lifted. Earth and heaven will be one. Jesus will personally be present. Every knee will bow at his name. Creation will be renewed. The dead will be raised. And God's new world will at last be in place full of new prospects and possibilities. Brings me to the next thing that Jesus said. He he said, I'm coming again. I'm coming again, he said. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back so that where I am, you will be there also. Now, really, would Jesus make a promise and then not keep it? No way. We can believe him. We can take him at his word. Remember what Jesus said and what he didn't say. The second powerful word is this, hope. The candle that we lit for this Advent, first Sunday in Advent, is the candle of hope. It's not only the hope that we have now, but it's the hope that we have on the first Sunday of Advent. Every year we remember the hope for the second coming, the second Advent, the not yet. Think back to all the bad things that Jesus said that his followers were going to face. And yet, when he was talking about his coming again, he told them to lift their heads up because their redemption was drawing near. That's the hope that we have, even in the face of trials, even in the face of hardships, yes, even in the face of death itself. We have hope because our redemption, our redemption is drawing near. I read a story of a little girl named Emma who was in her elementary school class one day and her teacher asked this question. She asked the class, what do hibernating animals live on during the winter? And little Emma raised her hand and she said this, All winter long, hibernating animals live on the hope of the coming spring. They live on the hope of the coming spring. So that's where we are. We are somewhere between the already and the not yet. We celebrate on December the 25th the coming of heaven to earth when Jesus came and started his earthly ministry He was always saying the kingdom of heaven is near or right here or among you or in your midst. It's here already. And when Jesus died and rose again, we have the already part of redemption. We don't have to wait. We Already the kingdom of God is among us. But we know that there's a not yet. Okay, We can look around and see and know in our hearts that all of creation is waiting for that day, the not yet day, when that veil will be lifted, as N.T. Wright says. The veil will be lifted. Earth and heaven will be one. God's new world will be put into place. That day is not here yet. But core to our Christian belief is that one day it will be. One day it will be. Things look bad sometimes. And sometimes it even looks like they're going from bad to worse. But God wins. God wins, and that's our hope. Hope is a, such a powerful word. We toss it around like it's not. We use it all the time. We say, uh, oh, I hope it doesn't rain. Like, well, maybe, maybe. Or I hope the Braves are going to win the World Series. Well, I hope so, y'all, but I'm not sure i put any money on it. But the biblical word for hope is something different. It's one of my favorite words in the Bible. It's the Greek word elpis, E-L-P-I-S. That is just fun to say. I want to ask you to say that with me. I want to count to three and have you say elpis, okay? One, two, three. Elpis Elpis is in the building. (laughs) That's right. Hope is in the building this morning because the Christian concept of hope isn't just, oh, well, I wish maybe it'll happen It is this. It means the desire of some good with the expectation of obtaining it. The expectation of obtaining it. Because the one who made the promise is faithful. That's our hope. So somehow we're here between the already and the not yet. And we remember and we hope. And then we watch. That's the third word to watch. It means to actively, expectantly look for the kingdom of God. It means to beware, to watch. It means to also beware lest our hearts become weighed down by the worries of this world. To watch that we don't numb ourselves with drunkenness and with numb ourselves with busyness and numb ourselves with activity so that we're caught off guard. It means to watch and be alert and live in such a way that we can truthfully say, even so, come Lord Jesus, I'm ready if you come today. I'm ready if you come today. And to watch every day for those moments when the kingdom of God breaks through that veil and becomes visible in our our lives each day. We call them glory sightings sometimes. Look for them. So let me ask you, are you watching? Are you watching as you wait this Advent season? I grew up in a little White frame country church that you have probably never seen. My kids have seen it, but you've probably never seen it. But maybe, have you seen, have any of y'all seen um, Horton Bend United Methodist Church? Raise your hand. You know that beautiful little white frame country church? It looks like it ought to be on a postcard or something. That's what my church looked like growing up. There was a man in this church who was, I mean, he was a real character. His name was Jim. And, um, we all knew Jim. You knew everybody in that community, but we all knew Jim. But we knew him by his nickname, Pep. No one ever called him Jim. We called him Pep. Pep was mentally challenged. I know that today. As a kid, I didn't know that he was mentally challenged. He looked. Um, he looks. I don't know. Just scruffy. Uh, it's the best way I know how to describe him. Uh, he had. He had. it just scruffy all the way around. He he kind of smelled funny, and he had his hair was always askew. His, his his beard was kind of on again off again. He didn't have any teeth. Probably right there as he talked to you, and he you couldn't barely understand him. So he would he would come up to you and he would jabber something. And as a kid, I remember just nodding my head and saying, "Yes, yes, sir, Mister Pep." And I'm not sure that was a great idea. There's no telling what he was saying. I could have been agreeing with something bad, but um, that's that's what Pep was. Pep didn't have a lot of things going for him. But he taught me. He taught me what it means to watch and to wait. Because Pep had a job at the church. Pep's job was to ring the church bell every Sunday morning. In my little home church, as you come... Through the front door, um, there was a white nylon rope that was hanging from the ceiling. And um, as kids, it was strictly off-limits. We all wanted to ring that bell so badly, but we couldn't, you know. That was Pep's job. And Pep would always get there about 15 minutes early. And he would stand with one hand on that rope. And the other hand looking at his Timex watch with a Twisto Flex watch band. And he would look like this right here. And he would watch and he would wait. And you did not go up and talk to Pep while he was in his watching and waiting mode. You just did not get it because he would just give you the stink eye, okay? He was in the zone. He was watching and he was waiting. And you know the bell always rang on Sunday and it always rang right on time and it was from pep I learned something about faithfulness and I learned something about actively watching and waiting and I learned about following through on your promise and I'm thankful because here we are and we're watching and waiting and the final word is pray verse 36 in the scripture today Jesus said pray. Now we all pray, but we don't always pray the way that Jesus told his followers to pray that day while they're watching and waiting. He said, pray for the strength to stand. Did you catch that? Pray that you're going to have the strength to stand. Our prayers usually go something like this, Lord, please don't let anything bad happen to me or to my loved ones. And it's okay to pray that because it's it's on our hearts, and God knows our hearts anyway. But we all know, experience has taught us that sometimes bad things do happen to us and to those that we love. They do happen. They will happen. So pray for the strength to stand. On Wednesday nights, we've been, in our small group Bible study, we've been using Adam Hamilton's book, Half Truths. And this past Wednesday night, we looked at a a poem by a woman named Annie Johnson Flint that she wrote more than a century ago. And she was a person who knew what it was like to have deep pain and loss. Annie uh, lost her mother at the age of three. And soon after that, her father, uh, this is right around the time of the Civil War, Soon after that, her father became so ill that he couldn't take care of the family to the point that he had to give his own children up for adoption. But fortunately for Annie, she was adopted by a a very loving family, a great family called the Flints, and um, she had planned to spend the rest of her life with them, and things were going great. And then even before Annie was able to finish high school. Her adopted family, her adopted mom and dad, died too. And at that point in the story, I was thinking, what else could happen to poor Annie? So Annie's dream was to be a teacher, and she was able to, to finish school and start teaching school. But not long after she began her teaching career, she became diagnosed with a, a degenerative disease that left her unable to walk and unable to take care of herself. And so Annie spent the rest of her life in a sanitarium being taken care of by somebody else in in a wheelchair and unable to do even most basic things. And so what was she going to do? She was going to live another 20 years. What was she going to do? Somehow she remembered that when she was a little girl, one of the things that she loved to do was to write poetry. So that's what Annie did. She wrote some of the most beautiful poems. One of, maybe her most famous poem was turned into a hymn, and I included it in your outline there. It's called What God Hath Promised. I want to share it with you today. God hath not promised skies always blue, flower strown pathways all our lives through, God hath not promised son without joy, without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. See, what Annie knew and what we know As we watch and pray is that God helps us to bear whatever light, whatever life brings us, even in apocalyptic looking times. I was thinking maybe one of the reasons apocalyptic movies are so popular is that these days we feel like things just look like they're getting worse and worse. But this candle of Advent This light on the Christmas tree reminds us that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will never overwhelm it. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's pray. God, how thankful we are for that light that does shine in the darkness, because sometimes That darkness seems very, very real to us, and yet you have given us these words, remember, hope. Help us, Lord, to watch and pray and to trust you in Jesus' name. 217 is our closing hymn. Number 217, Away in the Manger.